Hi, I'm Bill Small. And I'm Miles Hansen. And welcome to The Subtle Art of Not Yelling. A conversation about growing a business without needing to be the loudest person on the block. Less noise, more... Ah. Today's guest is Ryan Estes, the co-founder of podcast booking agency Kitcaster. Ryan owned a media and marketing agency for 10 years, and for eight of those, he hosted Talk Launch, one of iTunes' top 100 podcasts. He recorded more than 300 interviews and had more than a quarter of a million downloads. So Ryan knows podcasting, and we're going to find out about his journey today. So you guys kind of met through online dating. Yeah, I, I swiped yeah. right. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shaper is like, it's like, yeah, it's online dating meets LinkedIn. I like right. it. I like it was really cool. I, I like that app too. It was neat. Yeah. It seemed well, to have so some early traction. Ryan, right. you have a, you have kind of a, a lot in your history and yeah. it makes me not really know where to start. So one of the mm. things that is, we always kind of find fun is tell us your story. Like, ha, like how did you get where you are right now? Yeah, um, that's a good question. It's a it's a winding road, and I definitely had chapters, you know, for sure. Um, I think probably what's really guided me the last 10, 15 years is just being a family man. You know, I got two kids that are awesome. Uh, my daughter's a freshman in high school, and my son's in seventh grade. So wow. um, much of who I am now is a result of, of them and, and my wife, and basically, <clears throat> pardon me, um, putting the reins on <laughs> the wildness that was my life previous to that, you know, um, I was kind of yeah. maniac for, for a long time. So, you know, this, this current iteration is a family man and, um, you know, businessman, um, is largely to do with them and like figuring out ways to, um, kind of, uh, harness my talents, but also a way to like maybe bolster some of my weaknesses, um, which, you know, if you're, we're talking about clinical diagnoses, I have all the A's, the D's, the H's I've got, I've been diagnosed with so many different things. It's, it's just bananas. But, but to me, the, that kind of modality never really worked for me seeing things as disorder, you know, so I kind of tend to think, uh, I've got extra energy. And so I find ways to express that energy and, and channel it. Um, and that's kind of, kind of who I am now, I guess. I love that. I love that. And I totally get that the, uh, the family man thing, I didn't uh, have, we didn't have a child till I was 45. I have a 10 year old now. Nice. And before that, it was, you know, all music all the time, touring a lot, traveling around. And, uh, and ever since then, I've really, really tried to, to make it so that I'm just here. You know, I have the, I have that uh, luxury to try to be with my kid as he grows up and i'm sure that's part of what you're up to too yeah yeah my wife actually just went back to work so she's stayed at home mom forever and that's possibly my greatest accomplishment you know as mm. entrepreneurs making that's fantastic make that happen you know it was great um so she was happy about it so so you as far as i know and tell me if i'm wrong you were kind of an entrepreneur in more of the marketing space before you turned to what you're doing now. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I had a digital marketing agency called Talk Launch, which is probably, you know, that was what, you know, kept the lights on, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but over the years, you know, I've had just a, a whole string of unsuccessful projects <laughs> to varying degrees. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. So, you know, it, the, the, the plan was, um, you know, when I was transitioning to like really kind of become an entrepreneur, I had a, an app idea and was like kind of sitting down with um, some developers about bringing this app to light. And, you know, um, at the time is probably going to cost a half million you know, just to have kind of an MVP. Um, and so I kind of thought about like, you know, I don't really, once I have this built, I know they're just gonna send me out the door and on the way, then what do I do? I don't really know. And so that kind of created the business that was Talk Launch, which was a, a, a business that was based on launching products and largely in social media marketing. This is kind of in the infancy of digital marketing. Like there was no, like Instagram didn't exist. We're kind of on the heels of MySpace. Um, and I was building websites and figuring out ways that I could help launch products. Um, and really kind of as a sandbox to the projects that I had, you know, I've always had this laundry list of stuff that I wanted to get done. Um, and in kind of like a shotgun manner. So by working with other entrepreneurs and launching their products, see what works, see what didn't, it was always kind of informing the way I was approaching my projects. Um, so over the years, you know, uh, everything from goods, software, services, um, brands, entertainment, you know, I kind of categorize all of them and, and try as methodically as I can to validate and bring those products to life. Um, I think it, maybe you can agree with this too, is like the, the more mature I feel as an entrepreneur, the, the, the faster I'm able to kind of kill those ideas when they're not working. Um, yeah. and, and maybe, you know, Bill, you've got an experience in music too. A big challenging part of leaving music, um, which I did in dramatic fashion, I really turned my back on it, but it, it became kind of an identity component of like, who am I now if I'm not the music guy that everybody knows me as like a songwriter and, uh, you know, touring prof professional and stuff like that, you know, who am I? Um, and so wrestling with that and figuring out that like, Hey man, there's, there's more to me and it's, I don't need to wrap my identity around this musician person. Um, in the same way, you know, entrepreneurs will, will work on projects and they're like, I'm this app guy. And if the app's failing, right. that means I'm failing. You know, yeah. and so they hold on and lose money. And more importantly, they lose lots of time because, hey, the app guy can't fail as opposed to just like allowing the project to, to fail. I mean, if you're not comfortable with that word, then it could be like, hey, it's just not the right thing at the right time, you know. Um, so kind of figuring out how to do that personally, not attach too much to to a project and, and letting things go has kind of been my career arc. I love that because um, I, I think there's a point where we're afraid to do that. You know, you have some idea and you feel like you have to take it all the way, even though at some point you might have this inkling or this thought or this intuition that, no, you know, I probably shouldn't be doing this. But there's so much outside pressure sometimes that, oh, well, you're supposed to take it all the way. And sometimes you just need to stop and do something else. I think yeah. that's one of the hardest things to discern is when that time is because yeah, absolutely. especially early on in entrepreneurial um, growth, you're so, so like everything is so emotional. You're so attached to it. 
you know, I see, I see people that are, they have their first big idea and they're just like in love with it. And it's their baby, they say. And um, how important do you think it is to be objective and like have an objective relationship with ideas? And how do you discern um, in your experience, Ryan, like when is it time to quote, give up? And you could replace that word with something more gentle. Yeah, man, it's tough. It's, it's just, it, 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 you put gut checks in there. It's kind of what mm. I do. Um, mm. I have had the luxury of seeing people make catastrophic mistakes. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> one, one thing we were kind of no, notorious for, or not notorious for, one, our specialty in the agency was, was um, doing crowdfunding campaigns. You know, and we probably did a dozen of them and raised millions of dollars for different products. Um, and through doing that, you, you, that's where you really see, like, these are p folks that are obsessed. They're all in. They've spent all their money to develop the product. Um, they're getting ready to throw it on Kickstarter. And all they're seeing is dollar signs in their, in their eyes. And, you know, I talk to them and say, hey, you know, have you asked anybody if they want to buy this? And they're like, what? <laughs> They're like, no, obviously they will. I'm like, man, are you sh you're sure you spent how much and you never tried to sell it? Whoa, you know, so we, we turned down more projects than, than we worked on, um, largely because there was this like compulsion. Um, and it's a delicate balance because you, you, you got to commit, you know, but there's, there's ways you can commit um, along the way that don't risk everything you've got. You know, so for me, it, to stay organized with the pr projects I'm working on is really important. You know, I use Trello to organize my ideas, you know, where in the columns of Trello, the, what's furthest to the left is what I'm working on um, with most I intent. And then kind of trailing all the way down to the very end, which is this idea for like a spinning soap dispenser in a walk-in shower. <laughs> that I can't give up this idea. It's still there. But I'm not, I'm not working on it, and largely because it doesn't meet my validation criteria. So, like we're talking mm -hmm. about, like, I got a family, you know, so I have to be very careful with my time because I just don't have that much. So, you know, for me to work on a project entrepreneurially, it's got to fit, like, three criteria first, which is, you know, is it of service? Um, it's important to me that I feel like my work is important to helping people. Um, is it fun? Um, I mean, everybody loves fun, but me personally, if it's not fun, I'm just generally not going to do it because <laughs> of a man of pleasure, 100%. I suppose. Um, yeah, and it's then, not very and sustainable. Three, it, yeah, exactly. And, and three, it, it like has to make money um, only because there's so many things that I love to do that don't make money um, that I have to be very specific that like, hey, I, I'm here, you know, keep the lights on, put food on the table. So it has to make money. So this is kind of how I'm going to organize that Trello board. Now, as we're going through those kind of validations, it's like, okay, this is of service. This is fun. This has got some earning potential. This is great. Kind of that last and kind of continuing um, validation is like, am I the right person to bring this forward? Like, am I the guy, you know, and that's just a gut check. And if you're not, it's like, man, I don't think right now at this time I'm the guy to do this. Um, then you got to let it go. So, you know, it, it's kind of excruciating um, because all of those ideas on that Trello board just end up getting, you know, pushed further to the right because they don't meet that criteria. Um, but, but trying to be really objective, you know, trying to look at this 
honestly, it does it do all these things, you know, is ultimately going to be what I end up working on. Um, so I, I don't have to feel like I'm holding all these ideas in my head. Um, that's exhausting when I just want to be like, okay, cool. Sundays, I know I'm with my family. I'm with my kids and folding laundry and stuff. I'm not trying to, um, hold six different ideas in my head. I love what you just said about going through that criteria. And then the last one, which I think may be the most difficult is, am I the person to do this? Yeah. Mm. Uh, one of the things I've, uh, end up talking about a lot, you know, you're probably smarter than me because I never did leave music. I'm still doing that. <laughs> but one of the things, part of my criteria inside that is, am I the guy? Yeah. Is this going to be fun for me? I can do a lot of things and have. I've done just about every job in that business you can think of. But I don't want to. Yeah. They're not fun for me after a while. So am I the guy? Is this, is this it? You know, I actually had somebody ask me the other day if I would come play a particular show with them, and I thought about it, and my gut's going, you don't want to do that. Yeah. I know I can, and it's nice that they asked, you know, and I'm sure they were going to pay me something, but I don't want to. Yeah. And there was a time where I don't want to wouldn't have been a good enough reason. I would have thought, well, I have to, right? Yeah. Somebody asks, and I can, and they're going to pay me, so I have to. Well, no, I don't have to. It's not... It doesn't line up for me. Yeah. And that's a tough one, too, because I, I find myself kind of like wanting people to like me, you know. So say, <laughs> saying yeah. no is like tough, you know. It's yes. like, you know what, I just, I, I'm not the guy for this, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it is challenging, you know. Um, and it will, especially if you're coming from scrappy, humble beginnings, you know, right. like me, it's like someone's offered me some cash for something. It's like, man, I'm, I'm jumping on you're that. You're going to go do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you the, bet. You know. Um, but bet. sometimes, you know, you, 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 you know, you trip over a dollar picking up a nickel or whatever. Um, you gotta, you gotta be careful, you know, like with your time, you know, and, and I right. think that's where the switch happened for me is that like, you know, money's one thing, but like, you don't get the time back, you know, and, and that helped me putting away projects that I'd spent a lot of money on, you know, where it's like, man, I put X, Y, Z into this project. I expect to get a return. It's like, nah, man, sometimes you gotta, you gotta yep. let it go. You know, mm. well, so you had one idea a while back that seems to be working out really well. You're the founder of Kitcaster, which is a booking agency for podcasting. How did that yeah. happen? Yeah, you know, I've been podcasting forever. It seems like um, <laughs> that's how Miles met. Uh, Miles and I met was at uh, for my my podcast, which started as the Denver Business Podcast and kind of iterated into the Talk Launch Podcast for the agency. And really, I just interviewed entrepreneurs, um, um, founders, CEOs of of companies, almost as like a lead gen opportunity for um, the agency. You know, there, there's trust built into those conversations, and you can get to know their wants and needs. Um, and then, if there's a, a good fit, then you can you can do that. Um, you can kind of create a, a relationship together. Um, when I met Miles, I was in the, uh, a certain phase of the podcast because I've been doing it for 10 plus years. You know, the phase I was in, I was calling it the most romantic podcast, business podcast <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> so, I love that. so I was meeting people for breakfast and coffee. I would, I would meet people in, in the, uh, by the lake and lay out a blanket and have mimosas and light a candle. <laughs> 
which is a really awkward way. <laughs> That's <laughs> fantastic. To start a, a brand new conversation with somebody you don't know and be like, oh, talk to me about your new, uh, your fresh raise. <laughs> you, know, you guys raised $5 million, I understand. It's like there's two candles going with strawberries. <laughs> like, what is it? So, um, so yeah, that's that's how Miles and I uh, met, and I got off track. Well, uh, where was I going with this? Story well, just how how you got from uh, marketing and pot and your own podcast oh, yes, to yes, yes. starting Kitcaster. Kitcaster, okay, <laughs> yeah. So, as a result of the podcast, um, our co-founder Brandy Whalen, she had a PR company, and she worked largely with um, startup founders, um, funded startup founders, and folks like that. And so she would pitch her clients to my podcast, which was great. I was like, absolutely, let's do it. And so I would interview her clients on the show. Um, and Brandy's just a, a fantastic person, um, but also a great networker. And we kind of clicked. And so we were getting coffee. And she, at the time, I was working on a software project called Career Funded. And I was in this kind of process of like, I got to let this go. It's just, I'm not the guy right now to do this, which was hard because, you know, I put a year and a half into it. And she's like, well, let's do a project. What do you want to do? Let's do something, you know? And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because we kind of met through podcasting, we were kind of considering something in that. Um, and so we just threw around ideas until we landed on like kind of a talent agency for podcasting, um, which, which seemed really cool. You know, the product I was working on was kind of a, a B2C SaaS dashboard. Um, she'd been working in software too. So the idea of having an agency where the way we scale the company is like with people, you know, it's old school. It's like, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to get together and create a, a positive culture and and um, create jobs and opportunities for people and 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 do the thing. Um, so we kind of sat down and charted out what like success would look like. We put those gut checks in there like, hey, man, you know, three months like we got to We have to hit these numbers. This has to happen. Are we the right person? And kind of what goes along with that gut check of are we the right person, particularly in a service business, is, you know, can we be the best in the world at this? Um, and if it's up to me, there's no other reason for me to do anything. Like, I don't want to do something and be mediocre. <laughs> we're yeah. pretty good in the industry we're at. No. Yeah. We, want, we want to be number one um, and leave no doubt. Um, so that became a part of it too. Like, can we be dominant, the best in the world at this? Um, so as we kind of moved through the pilot program, we kept, you know, finding validation in every single uh, opportunity and every time we looked at it. Um, so, you know, um, and just for your listeners, you know, all we do is we book entrepreneurs on other people's podcasts like this. You know, we, if you wanted to be a guest on other people's shows, we'll put you on podcast tour, so to speak. Um, and that's all we do. So, you know, we launched officially in, was it September of 2019? Um, we're about two years in and of course, March, 2020, everything got shut down, um, which was kind of auspicious for us in a way. It's kind of embarrassing to think that we kind of benefit a little bit from the quarantine, but as people returned home and started working from home, um, particularly who we work with funded startup founders, yeah, they found themselves without like opportunities to lead, you know, because they've got sales marketing is holding down sales. They've got, you know, customer success is doing execution and they're kind of like in their place. Well, hey, you know, how, how do I fit in this package? Well, um, podcasting began, became like a really great way for them to lead while they were, you know, 
at home worrying about the future of humanity. <laughs> so, so. Not long ago, we recorded a podcast and we talked about shipping our work and how many things we've started but failed to finish. We talked about exercising our creative muscle and being consistent. We talked about perfectionism and procrastination. And we both got very real about how we work and the things about how we work that just don't work. We realized that in order for either one of us to move things forward, we need a container, structure, boundaries, a clear target, accountability, support, feedback. That inspired us to create The Box. So what's The Box? The Box is a workshop for creatives. It solves problems like unfinished work or lack of sharing or being able to promote or sell your work, unorganized action, wasting energy, that lone wolf syndrome, going it alone. We're planning on launching this in the first few months of this year. So if you want to move your creative work past where you usually stop, just visit theboxworkshop.com and find out more. In the box, you'll finish what you started. Well, you know, I know you say, this is all we do. We book people on podcasts. You know, uh, full disclosure, as a client of Kitcaster, which I am, uh, it feels like you do more than that. And (laughs) one of the things that I really appreciated that I found out early on in speaking with uh, your co-founder, Brandy, is that this is not just a software solution that yeah. there's people and that you, I, I work with a person there yeah. uh, and the money that I pay pays that person for their time. And actually coming from the entertainment business, the model of what you have, uh, you know, miles and I try to gently make fun of all of the many marketing programs that we've paid money for all of the many business building and digital marketing things that we've spent money on and been grossly disappointed by. Yeah. And one of the reasons that, that it was honestly kind of easy for me to pull the trigger in working with Kitcaster is that the model makes sense to me coming from the entertainment business. Oh, you're a, you're a booking agency. I get that. Great. Book me a gig and I will show up and it'll be great. Uh, and it's really, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and a credit to Miles's business, who's amazing with his marketing and what he does. Yeah. And, you know, I, Miles is like, I love his teardowns of kind of like what's icky about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. It's hilarious. But, but also, um, even more so is I just like, you know, Miles, your attention to, to how marketing and sales is a beautiful thing. And like how commerce is like kind of a sacred transaction in a way that like if if I'm promising this and you buy it and I deliver and execute it a great way, boy, there's nothing better than that. You know, that's it's really right. cool. So um, yeah, you guys do so it really simple. well, you know, and so for us, that's really important to us, too, because like you said, Bill, like all, our agents are here, you know, there's like six of us here now, um, but we're all in the States and we're all, you know, real people that yeah. that care you know yeah. so yeah, it's it, not it, an it, algorithm that's booking me on shows it's an right. actual person you know? exactly 
it's a person that's qualifying like the outcomes that you want from podcasting with these uh, and the conversations you want to have with great opportunities for hosts that are looking for the same thing so that it works out for everybody. Right. Well, I, I know that Miles has questions, but I got two <laughs> things I got to ask him. One sure. is uh, in when, when I go to your profile, in Kitcaster, the first thing it says about you is Ryan is an American Buddhist. So we got to talk Buddhism and meditation for a few minutes. Would uh, love to. Uh, most of, I would say at this point, half of what I do with my clients is I, I've become, you know, half meditation teacher and half business coach. Nice. Uh, and uh, so that's certainly a big part of my life. I'd love to know how you came to that, I'm assuming that you're a meditator. It'd be weird to put American Buddhist on there if you weren't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, how did that happen for you? Yeah, you know, I think that's probably characteristic of what American Buddhism is, is it is rooted in contemplative practice, which yes, is actually absolutely. at odds with the majority of Buddhists around the world. Like 95% kind of, yeah. of them don't meditate at all, right. you know? <laughs> so. You know, um, I kind of put that in my bio because I do love to talk about it. And I feel like there is an interesting differentiation if you say American Buddhist. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but that's kind of what I'm exploring, I think, in my I practice. Think, I think you just said it. Like it, It's more based around a contemplative practice than a religion. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. It's something you do. It's not something you believe. Yes. You, know, you can bring your beliefs to these practices and these kind of technologies, um, and it works. Um, plus, I think a, a, a huge component of American Buddhism and how Americans were introduced um, to Buddhism, but also Hinduism, is through the counterculture psychedelic movement of the 50s and 60s, you know, yeah. where people were blowing their minds on copious amounts of LSD and kind of opening their heart and opportunities for these spiritual practices. And so they went to the East, you know, and found teachers and found these books and began translating things and bringing them back here. Your Alan Watts and Cornfield and um, Goldstein yep. and uh, all of them, the, the Jubus, they call them, right? Yeah. And John Kabat-Zinn, who you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. created mindfulness-based stress reduction, stress reduction, which is very much a, an Americanized, you know, very kind of standardized type of a practice. Secular. Absolutely. Yeah. Very secular. Yeah. 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 So probably, and so my introduction was in a very same way, you know, in high school, it was a knucklehead running around doing drugs with a bunch of crazy people, you know? <laughs> so sure. I remember finding myself as 15 years old and like, it's probably two in the morning and I'm sprawled out in this, this riverbed behind the church my parents attended. And I was staring at the moon, wondering what the hell I believed because I was so gacked out on LSD, you know? <laughs> So interesting gut check there as well. Um, but so through that, you know, kind of the same thing, starting looking to these esoteric traditions. And for me, the beginning when I was 15, 16 years old was with Taoism, you know, yeah. something, something about the Tao Te Ching and like the impenetrable, contradictory nature of it. The, the, the fact that it starts with, you know, the way that can be spoken is not the true way, which is a hilarious thing to start a book, which is like, there's no way I can tell you the truth. So let me just explain it to you for the rest of these pages, you know, but this isn't the thing. Um, <laughs> I just really liked that and started getting into um, meditation and yoga techniques. You know, this is kind of before, this is long before the internet. 
um, and you had to go to the, the dusty used bookstore and you find, you know, these great old books, you know, from God knows where. And then they're tucked in with all this cool beat poetry and like, oh, who are the Kerouac and these guys? Who's Bill Burroughs? And like, so this whole kind of real introduction towards Eastern thought, how it kind of filtered in through the 50s and 60s was kind of my introduction, you know. And so spiritually speaking, I had several lives after that. Um, but it was, it was again with kind of psychedelic culture that rekindled um, a, a deep passion, you know, four or five years ago um, to really take it seriously, you know, um, and take it seriously in the practice side, you know, what, what's, what's so, cool. So what does your practice look like these days? Um, it's a mixed blend. So it's sitting practice, you know, daily. I'll do at least nine minutes, you know, but up to 50 um, and then I do a walking practice that, that I really like, kind of a walking with breathing techniques. Um, awesome. I use, you know, what could be described as mindfulness-based stress reduction, you know, just yeah. kind of basic Vipassana stuff. Um, but I'll switch modalities depending on, like, kind of how I'm feeling, you know, do some kundalini stuff if I need to get some stuff moving. Um, and, and, and the breathwork stuff, which is probably, you know, it's mindfulness as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think for me, I'm using the, the technologies, the meditation technologies to focus my energies on being calm and peaceful and kind of bringing my energy from my brain into my belly, you know, things to kind of calm the fire a little bit, um, mm -hmm. largely, as opposed to maybe spiritual exploration or deeper yeah. realms mm -hmm. of, of meditation. Um, so now, did you learn most of these things from books? Did you have a teacher? Do you use any apps that are out there? So many apps out there now, some of which are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all the above. All the above. Um, the, the Vipassana stuff, boy, that goes way back. It's probably like a yoga class that I took at Wild Oats or Whole Foods back in the early 90s. <laughs> um, but uh, for a while, I was sitting a lot with the Denver Zen Center. Um, and I think aesthetically, I really like the Zen culture, mm -hmm. um, largely because it's so, it, they're like the Marines, the spiritual world. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you go to a, a beautiful, like, Tibetan monastery, and there's a 30-foot gold Buddha. You're like, whoa, right. that's amazing. And there's incense burning everywhere. Uh, you know, and you go to a Zen center and there's like a, a little stone Buddha in the corner and they're like, face the wall. I'll see you in an hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So, and their techniques are just like, you know, breathe in, count to one, breathe out, count to two, get to 10, do it over. That's it. Yes. And that's yep. for, we'll do, see you in 40 years after that. So that's how I learned to meditate was yeah. from a Zen and Taoism class in college. Yeah. And that's pretty much exactly what we did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's how I started too. Um, I think the the confusing thing for me, and maybe it re resonates with other people, is a lot of times I'd spend thinking like, "Am I doing this right? Is this what I'm supposed <laughs> <Yeah>. to be doing?" <laughs> uh -huh. You know, um, when you get to the end, and you you let's say you just dunk in the end zone, it's a lot easier to understand what you're doing going forward. Um, not to keep bringing up psychedelics, but I feel like that's kind of what it gives you. Is it gives you the end result, and then it's a little non-consensual, so thank God it kind of 
dispels after a while, but you understand that there is a, a, a delta of consciousness capable to you, um, and you can kind of find these maps that will show you the, the terrain you just experienced, you know. So, and the great thing is you almost can't do it wrong. True. If you are if you are sitting in a meditation practice and let's say you're making a valiant attempt to anchor your attention to your breath. Yeah. And and it's going to feel like you're doing it wrong. Well, you're not. You can't do that wrong. All you can do is keep showing up. Yep. Exactly. And you keep showing up for a while and then it starts to feel like, oh, okay, maybe I am doing something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, well, I, that's why I like the like nine, 10 minute sessions where, you know, your brain's swirling through the day and it's like, no, I'm going to, I can take nine or 10 minutes any day of the week and just relax. Yeah. And I'm going to do this yep. to just calm down. You absolutely. Know? And, and do you see a, um, a media benefit just to bring it back to bi- like your business and the way that you function. Uh, Cause like myself, I get so in my head. Like that's, that's one of my things that I've been working on for a long time. Bill knows this really well. Cause he's helped me get out of my head and into my body. But yeah. do you see like, um, you know, the kind of that end result like that you speak of is one of those that's so enticing uh, your like clarity around your business or your energy or focus. Like what are you seeing there? You know, it comes through a lot in just, like, patience, I think, um, mm. in, in understanding that, like, most of the things I want are a process. And I'm thinking of something that's 12 months down the road. Well, there's this kind of way to get there. Um, that's from an organizational standpoint. Then there's just kind of, like, my daily work. Um, you know, I st- sit in front of glowing orange rectangles all day and do a mix of proactive creative work and reactive work. Um, which is basically coming from emails and Slack. Um, and it's amazing what you can accomplish, but there, there's also kind of a problem baked into this kind of computer work, which is if I read an email that I interpret as being a little bit off, I might go to 11. Like fight or flight goes all the way up. The hackles on the back of my neck are coming up red on my face. Like <laughs> Totally unnatural response. Well, I suppose totally natural response, but totally unnecessary. I'm right. totally safe, you know, but my body is reacting like it needs to defend itself, you know. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I try and fight against that, and I admit that's the wrong metaphor. I try and harmonize that energy, <laughs> you know, as best I can. And I find, like, being calm and going into like my inbox in a manner that's like, okay, I can label that be like, Oh, that's going to be a little challenging. That's going to be a little challenging and kind of move through it. Um, and find some, some variability between, you know, I'm totally chill to being like, I'm totally upset. Like it's not a switch. There should be a gradient. And if I can get comfortable in that gradient of emotions, then I can always bring things back down and deescalate and come back to a calm focus center. Um, you know, I think what, what these practices have taught me is that like, I'm always going to come back to a calm and peaceful center. Um, but depending on the scenario in reactive, it might take a year for me to come back to a calm centered normal. Um, if I can use those techniques to shorten that to six months, boy, I just saved myself six months. If I could use it to do three months or three minutes or three seconds, you know, the, the benefit in that is, is so manifest that it's, it's worth the, the endeavor, in my opinion, just to, to 
and for the people that are around me and the people that I love is to is to recenter, refocus, um, be be calm, and then kind of the the unspoken hidden benefits is you have these insights, you know, that come to you in in sitting practice that are are really cool sometimes, you know, and challenging as well. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well said. <laughs> Oh. Well, I got one other question for you, which is, uh, there's this really interesting sentence in your profile on KitCaster, which is, Ryan would like to talk about the role podcasts play in healing our ailing culture. Tell me more about that. That, like, that lights up my whole brain, makes me go, ooh, I want to know more about that. Cool. Yeah. You know, maybe it, it's kind of a, this could be a product of guilt a little bit, um, being that, <laughs> being that you know we were so early to social media uh, marketing and such an evangelist of it at such an early place, um, and now feeling like social media is kind of uh, vulgar and disgusting in aspects, not in, intrinsically, but kind of what it's become. It's kind of metastasized a little bit, and I'm being harsh and judgmental, but um, it certainly seems that way. It seems like culture wasn't really ready for it um, in the way that I thought it was. Um, but what I Judge always, away, it's okay. <laughs> what I always loved about podcasting is it, 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 um, it plays on people's general decency and courtesy and polite, you know. Uh, two people that are totally opposites come together for a conversation they're going to kind of wrestle to find common ground almost instantaneously. It's in, it's in our makeup. You know, we evolved to be social creatures. And so, and so we do that, you know, um, as a society, as a global society. I mean, if the pandemic shows us anything, it's like, boy, we're super vulnerable. And these problems are of a global magnitude, you know, where we, <laughs> the, the consequences are really severe you know, um, becoming a more peaceful, thoughtful person, changing um, the cultural milieu from, from a war-type culture to a um, uh, cooperation-type culture is absolute necessity, and it's the only way that we're going to fix it, you know. The, there, we have weapons now um, that can obviously destroy the planet. And for a long time, it felt good that we had those weapons were nuclear weapons and through political and sanction measures that we could kind of control that. We could spank down on people because it's really hard to uh, refine uranium, you know. Sure. But in, in 10, 15 years, you know, high school kids are going to be able to make a new coronavirus with the tools they've got with, you know, CRISPR and whatnot. So the, the opportunity not to be too <laughs> heavy here, sorry. But the opportunity to, like, create severe damage will be democratized. So basically we have to trust everyone on planet Earth not to do it. Yeah, um, I get that. You know, so there's, there's kind of an urgency here um, uh, of changing our culture, um, bringing, bringing new narratives to, to bear so that people have an understanding that it's not a us and them. It's like us. We're all in this together, and we got to take care of each other. The only way that we can achieve that is with conversation. It's the only... It's the only thing we've got. It's the only tool we have is to talk to each other. Um, and I know I take it for granted because it's, that's all we do. Is I, I, well, especially me, I never shut up. But, you know, it's like it's kind of magical that, you know, you can vibrate your vocal cords. It goes through the air and then goes into your brain. And what, what, what you were thinking 
is now what I'm thinking, you know, it's a, it's a telekinesis yeah. in a way. So, um, in that aspect, you know, if I'm talking about a validation, it has to be of service. I feel like this is a great service, you know, and I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't get too heavy on prospects talking about that, but, um, to me it's important, you know, and if we booked, I think I, I was running numbers, we booked, you know, 2,500, something like that podcast last year, imagining the ripple effect that it has from, from people talking about their, their passions and their hopes and their dreams. And, you know, um, I feel like it's significant. That's fantastic. That's so great cool. answer. Yeah. Wow. I'm with you. Yeah, man. And I can imagine that it's been a journey because the way that in observing you over the years, the way that you speak about this stuff and the way that you run your business, it's very like, from my perspective, it's very mature. It's very experienced. Like you've been through it. You've done all these different things. And now you're at a place where you can say things like that. And you feel so you're a hundred percent behind it. You know, yeah. there's no confusion. I mean, maybe some days you have, um, uncertainty like any human, but you believe in it and it, uh, it gives you energy to move forward for towards it. You also said something earlier that I can't get out of my head and Bill, you repeated it, which is that's all we do. We book people on podcasts. That's all we do. And just like the simplicity, like you create conversations, the simplicity behind everything that you've done is the most attractive thing to me and the most interesting to me, because I feel like I'm always, you know, I've created some of that, but I feel like I'm always kind of chasing that. Do you have any, um, insights or stories? that have led to your ability to keep things so clear and simple? Yeah. Well, and like Bill pointed out, that's actually not totally honest. <laughs> that's not all we do. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, but what you find is that if you do everything, you actually do nothing. Um, mm. People have a limited ability to understand, you know, um, what you do, and I learned that from having a digital marketing agency. It's like, oh, we do product launches, and we do uh, ad campaigns, and we do CPC campaigns, and like, it's just suddenly it's like, blah. I have no idea what that is. Um, but what you can kind of tap into is people's innate desire to help. Like, hey, what do you do? And it's like, well, I do this. You know, I sell hot dogs. And they'll be like, oh my God, my buddy has a baseball field. He needs a hot dog guy. And then they make the connection, you know, um, and those, that referral business is obviously critical to, to a young, to a young business. So finding simplicity on one, just so you can talk about it is, is really important, but, but also then you can sell it, you know, um, there's services and then there's productized services. And so we have a productized service, which is a service you buy as a product. You know, so it's not that you're hiring us as a virtual assistant or something like that. Rather, it's like this, you're going to purchase three podcasts per month for six months. And this is what the program looks like. And you can kind of walk through that. And it's just, it's, it's kind of a, a sales trigger to be able to hold somebody's attention and really get it. You know, so if I can tell somebody like, hey, you know how there's podcasts and there's guests? Well, we book the guests on the podcast. You know, and if we keep it simple as that, you can kind of see the lights go off. Like, oh, mm -hmm. so like you book people on podcasts. It's like, yes, yes, we do that. And that's and that's all we do. Um, we keep it clear that way also so we can have relationships with other 
podcast agencies. So mm. if, if I say I'm a podcast agency, they think, oh, you make podcasts. And it's like, well, no, we don't do that. So, <laughs> but we right. have relationships with people that do that very, very well. So that if people are like, I don't know what you do, but you're the podcast guy. Fair enough. That's cool. You have podcast questions, come to me. If it's not in our wheelhouse, we'll kind of build those relationships with our partners. So, so by staying in our lane and only doing podcast booking, then it creates opportunities for us to work with podcast agencies, for uh, PR agencies, for digital agencies, and, and make those relationships. Um, but, you know, for our clients, you know, again, I, I've always got a bunch of ideas. We're always working on new ways that we can help them and, and problems that may arise or solutions that we have of like they're asking for products, they're asking for services and how can we kind of weave those into our, our product line without diluting the, the simplicity and the core uh, offer that we have. So always start out saying all we do is book people on podcasts because that's our core, core offer that we're mm. really committed to. And I can imagine, gosh, that's so cool. I can imagine with that simplicity and almost like, um, you know, repetition, like the product is the same, generally speaking. Of course, there's like a um, personal touch and all that. It's a, it's a really intimate service from what I've heard, yeah. but it's the same process. And so that probably allows you to evolve and, um, you know, pick it apart and just continue to grow and make it better and better instead of like reinventing it every time and adding all these new things in, which I think a lot of people that I've seen, including myself, get caught up in is we do it the opposite. Like we tend to offer all these different things and have no clarity, no simplicity and never get to a point where we can say we book people on podcasts because they they're just getting in their own way. So it's really, it's really interesting hearing you talk about it. It's, it's um, bringing me a lot of clarity around how important that is for a business. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, to scale like a service business, you, you really have to, you know, so yeah. that way you can, you have firm expectations. Um, and even with like the simplicity that is our offer, there's, there's a lot of like clarifying, you know, of, of exactly what that is, but you can hone that and refine it because you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over. All the processes become really solidified. Um, and if, if you're scaling in, in a service capacity, then you have to have people, you know, and we've got 18 employees now, which is, which is wild. And it, but you can start to differentiate where it's like, okay, we have um, all these podcast agents and, you know, the leadership component is to keep them happy, you know, like all you guys are going to do is book podcasts and then the, the, the calendar invitations and some of the administrative work, we can hire somebody for that. Um, for the sales business dev, we can hire somebody for that. So we create kind of differentiation between the teams so that everyone can be 100% focused in what they're doing um, and confident that they're delivering the expectations and everybody understands what everybody's doing. So, you know, it's like uh, it, Greg Hickman speaks really great on this. He's, he's with a company called Alt Agency now. Um, but, but he's really big about like, um, honing in the craft, which is again, really hard because if someone's like, do you do this? And they have a, a fistful of money you're like, yes, I do. It turns out, <laughs> but sometimes turning away, um, that money and just taking a chunk because you, you do one thing really well is the best thing you can, you can possibly do. So he talks about like having one offer 
for one person, advertise it in one place for one year, you know, like as a discipline, like, I know you're going to want to do all this stuff and you're going to want to help everybody, but stick to this one thing um, and see what happens. And when I really started doing that, it helped. It was like, oh, look at the, I have clarity. The, these are the people we're going for with this. And we know their objections are these, and we have these solutions. So um, that's been really helpful for me, but it's also very challenging in service-based businesses because there's especially in digital services, because now it's like, oh, well, what's our web 3.0 strategy? And how are we going to bring NFTs to our work? And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. DAOs Jeez. and all this stuff. Um, yeah. So, I yeah. love that you just came all the way back around to saying no. And we just <laughs> talked about that earlier. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. Uh, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think yeah. that's so big. It yeah. may be bigger than we give it credit for, especially... Yeah for people who maybe are at the start of their entrepreneurial journey or are in the midst of it or haven't really uh, found the thing for them or transitioning from something that worked and trying to get to the next thing is, I think most of the people I know can do a lot of different things. Yeah. But what, what do you actually want to do? What lights you up? And what if that's the only thing that you took and you just said no to everything else? Uh, yeah. I, I know for me, every time I do that, it works better. You just said the same thing. I think Miles is in the midst of figuring out the same thing for himself. Uh, uh, that's yeah. really great. You know, and I, maybe the contemplative practice helps with that too, you know, because saying no to a, a, a big fat check real hard, <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to work up to that. Um, you know, for me, um, when I really started on the no journey of like, ah, oh, man, Ryan, like you just, you're a pleaser, you know, you'll <laughs> just, you'll say yes, just because you don't want someone to feel bad. So we have to start practicing this, you know, for me, it just became Sundays that like on Sundays, I'm not doing anything. And by not doing anything, what I'm doing is meal prep and I'm doing the laundry and I'm getting the yard work done and I'm going to the park with my kids. I'm just being domestic um, at home and that's what I'm going to do um, and committing to it, you know, which was really hard in the beginning, you know, because, you know, my mom needs a hand. I want to help her. You know, people want to go do something fun. I want to do it, you know, but it's like, no, no, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to honor this this one decision to take care of. 50 decisions i don't have to think about anything all i think it's just like oh man sunday I'm, I'm i'm stacked man what's up with tuesday you know um so just like finding small chunks you know if if no is the thing that people are working on like where's ways that you can um say no in a small way that like by the time you're like man maybe i gotta pass on a, a big check you, you're you've built up a little stamina <laughs> yeah uh, that you can do it i don't know I love that. Yeah, wow. Decision fatigue is, has been such a problem for for a lot of people because there's just so many decisions to make nowadays. And that, that's so cool that you, how can you find one decision to make 50 decisions or get oh. rid of 50 decisions? It's awesome. Freeing up totally. your energy, freeing up your time. Totally. Wow. I just um, read this great book. It's called 4,000 Weeks. And it's all about mm. that. It's about it's kind of about the, you know, unsatis or unsavory kind of productivity culture um, and facing the fact that, like, 
you know, the, the FOMO aspect. Like when you commit to doing something, you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. You're not going to get it all done. You know, you're just not. So um, it was kind of uh, gratifying to, to read the book um, because I'm, you know, productivity psychopath as well. Um, but what he was saying was real true is that like, you know, you can, you can mourn the, the time you're losing, um, or you can use that kind of as an experiment to, to refine and, and accept that like there's consequences for the time you're spending, you know, and at least taste it a little bit. And hopefully that influences your decisions, maybe at least for me. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm going to have to give that a read. That's pretty good. He was on, I um, think he was on, uh, on Ferris recently or something like that. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So as we kind of bring this, um, to a landing, um, what does the future hold? I mean, we know your generally like your vision, your passion behind this. What are you excited about in like the, the now and the near future? Um, you know, with Kitcaster, is there anything else that you're working on on the side? Any kind of passion projects? What's, what are you excited about for the near future? Yeah, you know, Kitcaster is really rolling. Um, we have, you know, four directors. Uh, they're doing awesome. Um, helping them grow and build a company is, I'm really excited about that. Um, I started getting back in the studio and recording some music. So <laughs> after like a 10-year, yeah. 15-year hiatus, um, that's felt really great. Um, a buddy of mine spent three years building a, a recording studio um, down here in Denver. So he kind of called me up and was like, hey, man, I need you to come in here and record some stuff because I need to f hear the room, you know. I was like, oh, that's so cool. What do you so, play? I play guitar and sing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes three of us. Yeah. That's really cool. It's, it's been fun. You know, I, I, I kind of poked it, poked it a little bit and some music popped out. I was like, okay, well, let's go. It's a, it's, Good. It was fun. I like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that means I don't have to give you a hard time about turning away from music. So I was, <laughs> no. I was keyed up to do that by the end of the show. Right. So. No, I appreciate that. I deserve it. I mean, there was a time where I was like, you know, saying things like I used to be a musician and it just felt like a dagger in my heart. I'm oh. like, used to be. Oh. Yeah, that hurts. Ouch. Uh, you know? <laughs> so hopefully I can, I can do away with that and have some fun with it at least. Well, I hope you'll let us hear it when you get something you're happy with. I'll do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us. I know that uh, you probably want people to know about Kitcaster. So if you don't know about it, go to kitcaster.com. And, uh, uh, you know, I won't give it too big a plug, but I'm a happy <laughs> client. So nice. No, that just makes leave me it at that. Yeah, that makes me feel great, Bill. I appreciate it. Um, and it's wonderful to be on, on the podcast. You know, I think we scheduled it six weeks ago and it seems so far in the future. And I was like, well, here it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's here before you know it. Yeah. Crazy. Totally. Well, uh, hopefully uh, we can get you back one of these times and uh, we'll keep our conversation going. And thanks again. Would love to yeah, do thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
Hey, thanks for listening today. Miles, can you believe people actually listen to this stuff? No. <laughs> well, if you liked it and you want to know more, you can go to... Wait, where do they go? Uh, it's... <laughs> Let me try that again. Subtleartofnotyelling.com Subtleartofnotyelling.com Does that have a B in it? There's a hidden B somewhere. I think it's I think it's actually pronounced subtle. Ah, and people just subtle kinda, art of not mm-hmm. yelling. So you can go there. Yep. And uh, when you're there, you can leave a review. You can send us a voice message, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get on our email list, uh, find out more about uh, what great and awesome people we are and uh man i guess i guess we'll just see you next time